Welcome to the Calvary Young Adults Podcast. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. Here's today's sermon. Well, how are y'all doing this evening? Good. Woo! Um, Many of you I know, many of you I do not. My name is Drew Walton. I'm the associate high school pastor here at Calvary. You guys are a friendly bunch. I should be here all the time. Um, And like I said, I'm the associate pastor here at HSM uh, at Calvary. And I love what I get to do. I um, first started serving as a volunteer in high school ministry 15 years ago, if you would believe that. Um, And as you can imagine, I have experienced all sorts of crazy things in that time, like the scandals that have played out between students, like the hard things that you've had to lead people through, the moments of triumph, like the tearful goodbyes, like uh, just like gross things going down. Like I've seen it all, I've been through it all. And so um, actually what I wanted to do was... uh, start tonight by grossing you all out and telling you just the craziest thing that's ever happened to me um, in my time in high school ministry. Um, but I will tell you now, there's a point to it because God really taught me something through this. But um, anybody ever grow up going to summer camp? Anybody like go away to like a week away or a winter camp or something like that? Um, if you grew up in the area or even grew, like, grew up in the church, like we're a big Hume Lake church. Like a lot of us um, go to Hume Lake for different things. And years ago, like we're pro- talking probably like 10 years ago, um, we took a group of high school students for summer camp up to Hume Lake, and I was a cabin leader. Um, and if you've ever been in the cabins up there or something approximate to it, they're like buildings out in the woods. Like some of them are like connected to other ones, but um, the one that we were in was like the, the one that time forgot, right? It was like away from everything. It was like there was no bathroom in the building. We had to like trek through the woods to get to the bathroom. Um, and it was me in a building with about 10 high school guys. And the way that it worked was the building was just a hallway through the middle. And then there was four rooms and each room had two bunk beds. So like four people per room, four rooms, one hallway, a door out into the blackness of night. And so we're like pretty early in the week. It's like day two or three. And it's been like a long day. Like if you've ever done camp, it's like you're doing rec and it's just like you're sitting in chapels and you're in the sun. And then it's like dinner and you're like spending time with people. And maybe you're doing like the zip line at free time. So it's like, I'm pooped by the end of the day. So, and, and then it's like, you get back to cabin, it's cabin time. And then it's like, when you've got like, like teenage boys, it's like, okay, now it's bedtime. And then like three hours later, it's actually bedtime, right? Like everybody's rowdy. And so it's like 1 a.m. and I'm exhausted. And I finally get everybody into bed and I climb into my bed and I pull the covers over me. And you know that place where you're like between asleep and awake? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you're kind of like, what is reality at this point? It's like, am I in a dream? Am I in the real world? Like what's happening? And so I'm like right there. And as I go to bed, like all the guys are in their beds. It's quiet. There's one kid named Austin in the hallway reading his Bible. He's like, can I stay up and read the Bible? I was like, fine. And so Austin's in the hallway reading the Bible. I'm in bed, like in that liminal place between asleep and awake. When all of a sudden I hear a knock at the door of my room in the cabin and I'm like, what? And it's Austin. And he's like, Drew, come quick. And I was like, what? Like, why? Like, what's going on? And he goes, Drew, you need to come quick. Tanner pooped the hallway. (laughs) And I was like, surely this is a prank, right? Like, this is a bit, and I don't have no patience for it right now. So I'm like, Austin, go back to bed. Like, not the moment for, like, a joke. And then he says it again. He goes, no, Tanner pooped the hallway. I need your help. And I could hear, like, fear in his voice. 
And so I was like, oh, fine. So I climb out of bed and like put on a shirt and I walk to the hallway and I get to the door and a wall of odor hits me. Um, And guys, there are smells that no nose should smell. This was the worst, like by a long shot, the worst thing that had ever entered my nostrils in my life. It was atrocious. And so I look, I told you this was gross. I'm sorry if you're like here and you snuck your dinner in. Eat it fast, it's gonna get worse from here. But so I, I get to the hallway, I'm like, oh, like immediate gag reflex. And Austin's like, and what I see is, <laughs> is like, a, like a crime scene, like a trail. <laughs> I see a trail of diarrhea to the door at the end of the hall. And then the door is open and it's just the blackness of the forest at night. I'm like, where's Tanner? And Austin goes, I don't know. He came out of his room and he looked really sick and he said, I don't feel so good. And then he started pooping and he ran out that way. And I came to get you because I didn't know what to do. And so I'm like, this is not how I thought my night was going to go. I was like, okay, um, Austin, you just stay here and I'm going to get help. And so I go grab another one of the leaders and I like go outside. And the way that the door works is like, it was like the, the hallway and then like a door and the door was at the top of a stairway down because we were on a slope. And so it was like a door and stairs um, and then just like the forest. And so I'm like, I wake up my co-leader. I'm like, uh, so kid pooped the hallway and he's missing. Uh, and so... So we get our flashlights and we're like searching high and low for this missing pooping kid. Um, And we like, it's like middle of the night. So I'm like trying to be loud enough for him to hear us, but not loud enough to like invite a bear or like wake up the camp. So I'm like, Tanner, Tanner. And we're looking ever and we just like cannot find him. Um, And now I'm starting to get panicked. I'm like, there is a sick kid who is incontinent wandering the woods in the mountains. (laughs) Like, what are we going to do? And so we're we're wandering around and we're like, okay, we got to go like up to the frontage road and then like maybe just kind of like fan out. And then we'll find the staff of the camp and like all of that. And so like, we're going up and I'm walking away from the cabin. I just have this like check in my spirit. That's like, go back and check under the stairs. And I was like, okay. So like, I'm gonna go check something. And so I go and I get back and I look under the stairs and what do I find? But Tanner, and he, this was a kid that I didn't know before the week, by the way, he was like a new camper. <laughs> so I was like, nice to meet you. But um, so Tanner, poor thing. It was like the most pitiful thing you've ever seen. Tanner is in the fetal position in the dirt um, and he's got, this is gross. He's got diarrhea down his legs. He's got vomit down his front. He's got dirt caked on. He's shaking. Um, and he's face down in the dirt. And so I like run to him and I'm like, buddy, like what, like what happened? And he straight up had lost like the last 15 minutes of his memory, had no idea what happened. It seems that he had run out, fallen down the stairs and then somehow crawled himself under the stairs. And like, he was in a bad way. And so I was like, I'm gonna get you help. And so I get the, my co-leader down there to be with him. And I'm like running like Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, running like across camp to get to like the security shack where there's like one person up at night. I was like, I've got a kid who's incontinent and he needs help. And I was like, bring the medical truck. And he's like, let me get my eyes on it first. I was like, not helpful. And so we run back and he takes one look at Tanner. He's like, I'll get the truck. I was like, great. 
And so we're waiting. It's me and Tanner. I send uh, my co-leader up to like make sure that the other kids are okay and grab some clothes because Tanner's clearly going to need them. And I remember I'm sitting on the frontage road with this kid waiting for help to come. And I remember sitting next to him. And again, he smells like the smell um, that came out of him. So it was horrific. Um, and I remember being like as far away from him as I could reasonably be and still pass as a caring adult. I was like, buddy, it's going to be okay. Um, and I remember in that moment, um, it's always, it's so funny. Cause like, if you're a believer in the room and you like know the Lord, it's always like, I want to hear from you, Lord. But it's always like, I want to hear you say the thing I want you to say. Right. But I remember in that moment, I felt like the Lord said, Drew, I want you to slide up close to this kid and put your arm around him. And I was like, please, no. <laughs> I was like, that's got to just be in my mind, right? And it was just like so clear in my heart. I was like, I know what I have to do. I've got to slide up close to this kid, get my arm around him and tell him it's going to be okay. And so that's what I did. I slid up close to him. And it was like my leg could feel the wetness of his leg and like my shirt. Like it was... <laughs> Volunteer with high school ministry and you can get puked on. Um, but I remember putting my arm around him and he gave me this look that was like, why? <laughs> I was like, it's going to be okay, buddy. I'm here with you. And so help finally came when we got him to the infirmary and then we got him all cleaned up. And actually my co-leader brought him two shirts and no pants. I was like, bro, <laughs> go back. And so he stayed the night in the infirmary. He stayed the next day in the infirmary. He stayed the next night in the infirmary. Um, they, they literally never figured out what was wrong with him. Um, but after a few days, he felt better. Um, but let me tell you, when I got back to my bed at the end of the night, first of all, it was like, um, like if you're in the mafia and you need to make a crime scene disappear, get the Hume Lake cleaning crew on it because it was like nothing ever happened. I came back and they were like, we're all finished in there. It was like a brand new cabin. I was like, oh my goodness. And so I remember climbing in bed, like he was taking care of in the infirmary. I remember climbing in bed. And as I was finally going to sleep, like three hours later, I remember just being like, what in the wide world did I just live through? Like, what was that experience? And that's when I remembered that earlier that night, I had been with Tanner after chapel, just the two of us sitting in there because he was just like sitting and processing things. And I remembered that he had told me, he was really struggling with like, just like wanting to fit in, like wanting to please the people around him. And I remember him telling me, I don't have anybody in my life who loves me unless it's convenient for them. I, like, I, I, like I feel like I'm running around trying to get people to approve of me um, or to invite me in or accept me. Um, and they'll give that to me, but only if it's convenient to them. Like there's no one who would go out of their way for me. There's no one who would serve me. Uh, like I feel like I'm having to get that from people. It's something I have to seek out. Um, and I remember sitting in the bed that night and I feel like the Lord really like unlocked something for me um, because what I feel like he said to me was, Drew, this is the gospel. Like there's not a different story. This is the gospel. And what you got to do for Tanner tonight is what I did for you many years ago, right? Like that's the gospel, right? Like I was lost in darkness, cut off from people, alone, covered in my own mess, helpless to help myself. And he came and he found me and he took me to safety 
safety and he cleaned me and he healed me and he entered a relationship with me, right? Like that is the gospel. There's not a different one. There's not a clean, sterile gospel. It's a messy gospel. God gets his hands dirty with us. And I feel like in that moment, God said, this is the gospel and this is what I'm asking you to do for people. Like we go to the people in need and we care for them. And I can tell you this, when Tanner finally got out of the infirmary, he was different. Like he was a changed person. He accepted Christ that week, which was amazing. And just like entered into the community and like he was different. Like something changed in his life. And that's not like pat on the back, Drew. That's like, wow, grace of God. But here's the reality is that when we're lost and we've experienced being found, that transforms our life right? Like if you know what it feels like to be lost, like truly lost, if you know what it is to be cut off or to be ashamed or to feel powerless or to feel just like covered in your own filth and not able to do anything, if you've been lost and you've been found, you make it your joy in life to help other people get found. That's just what it is. And so as you know, we've been in this vision series here at Calvary, this core uh, values of our church series that's happening in the whole church, right? Like if you go in on Sunday morning to the main room, if you go into elementary school, if you're in middle school, if you're in seasoned adults, right? Like we're all going through the same topics so that we can align ourselves on what do we value as a church? What are we aiming at for the next few years? Like what are we trying to be about? And the thing that we're talking about tonight is this idea that found people find people. Like that is what we do. That is who we want to be as a church. Like if we have actually been transformed by Jesus, like if we've actually encountered him, actually met him, if we know what it is to have been lost and we've been found, then it's our joy to go in the mission of finding people. Found people find people. It's what we do. It's who we want to be. And so what I want to do is I want to read a statement from our highest levels of leadership here at the church um, about why that's a value to us, about what we're trying to become in the next few years. So let me read this to you. Um, Here's what they say. They say, we see, like when we look to the future of this church, what we see is a church filled with disciples who are energized by the mission of introducing unsaved neighbors, family, colleagues, and friends to Jesus because he found us and he will do everything or we will do everything we can to invite people far from God to know who Jesus is and what he has done. Rather than waiting for people to come to us and ask about our God, we will take a proactive approach to telling people about the hope we have in Christ Jesus. We must have the same intentional spirit as the disciple Philip, who after meeting Jesus found Nathaniel and invited him to come and see. And that's the story that I want us to jump into together tonight. And so um, if you have a Bible, if you're a paper Bible, king or queen, or a digital Bible um, guy or gal, or you're like, a, I'll read it on the screen, thank you very much kind of person, we'll throw it up there. Um, but we're jumping into the Gospel of John in chapter one. If you are uh, exploring faith, if you're new uh, to our church or new to church in general, John is one of the four uh, books of the Bible that we call the Gospels, right? Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're four accounts of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and what that means for us, all right? So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John is the account of John the Baptist. And so to set the scene, um, basically John is the one who goes before Jesus to make the way for Jesus, right? So John um, is this man, he's in the wilderness, he's baptizing people, he's this dynamic teacher, this charismatic leader. People are drawn to him. 
in, by the masses. And so people are starting to ask questions about John. And in fact, um, the, all the religious teachers of the time go down to the river one day to see John and what he's up to, to hear him out and to inquire about John. Because they're curious of like, who is this dude? Is he good news? Is he bad news? Is he sent from the Lord? Is he crazy? Is he the Messiah? Like, who is he? Um, they're on a fact-finding mission. So they go down and they meet John and they're like wowed by him. They're pretty dazzled by him. And so they're like, so what's the deal? Like, are you the guy? Like, are you the Messiah? And John very clearly is like, I am not the guy. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm not the Messiah. I'm here to like roll out the red carpet for him. Um, he's here with us. Like he's already among us. Like you, you got the time right. You got the guy wrong, but the Messiah is coming. And so that's where we jump into John chapter one in verse 35. So that happens. And then the next day, everyone's back to hear John's teaching, to see his baptism, some people to be baptized. And here's what it says. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples and he sees Jesus passing by. And when he sees Jesus passing by, remember he says, the dude's here, um, but it's not me and nobody knows who it is yet. He sees Jesus passing by and he says something. He says, look, the lamb of God. Right? So in other words, the Lamb of God it means so many things. I could talk for another hour on the Lamb of God. But really, it harkens back to the Old Testament, to the story of Abraham. If you ever heard of Abraham, Father Abraham has, is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. God stops him at the last minute. Uh, there's no sacrifice. Um, they are looking for the Lamb of God, and a goat is what's provided. And so there's still a lamb to come, but it never shows up for the rest of the history of the Old Testament until this moment. It's Jesus, right? The perfect sacrifice, the perfect offering. So John the Baptist says, look, it's the Lamb of God. This is the dude you're looking for. He's here, right? And so here's the first thing that I just like want to put on your radar. We're talking about evangelism. Evangelism is a big word, but it really means just like sharing the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus with the people that we encounter, right? And so when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to like, what does it look like for us to share the gospel with people? The first task of evangelism is to make the message clear, right? Like John spells it out, right? Like John's not like, well, it would be convenient for me if like half of the people thought I was the Messiah and half of them didn't, right? Like followers would be great, right? And he's not beating around the bush. He's, he's not, even not territorial of his own disciples, right? Like Jesus shows up and he's like, that's the dude. Like we should all be looking that way, right? Like he could not put a clearer target around Jesus. The first task of evangelism is to make the message clear. You know, it's a funny thing in high school ministry world where I live all the time. Um, this is the time of year where all the students apply for the mission trips that we're going to have for the rest of the year, right? Um, and so we just like collected all the applications. Applications are closed. And yesterday we started going through the applications. And first of all, we have, we had 86 applications for about 60 spots. So pray for us. Um, we're trying to figure out what to do. But, um, what they have to fill out on the application is all sorts of things. Do you have a passport? Like, how do you do in stressful situations? Like, why do you want to go on this mission trip? Do you have any travel experience? All of that. But one of the questions that we look at most closely is, in your own words, can you tell us the gospel? And you would be shocked by how bad some people are at telling the gospel. But, but maybe not. Like if I put you on the spot and I was like, what is the gospel? Like a lot of you would probably be like, uh, uh, God loves us. 
right? Like it, it's not something that we often spend enough time thinking about. Some of them have these incredible answers. And some of, so I remember one time it was like, what is the gospel? And a kid just put Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We were like, come on, get out of here, right? But it's crazy also the patterns you notice. Like the thing that's left out the most in all of the gospel explanations is the resurrection, Kind of an important part, but people would be like, God loved us, he came down, incarnation, in the flesh, lived a perfect sinless life, and died for us, and that's good news. And it's like, that's not good news unless there's a resurrection, right? Uh, And it's amazing how if we wanna be evangelistic, we need to make the message clear, and a lot of us don't know how to give a clear message. So actually what I wanna do is I wanna read, I'm not gonna say her name, um, but we had an application that we read yesterday from a girl in our ministry, who gave such a good gospel explanation. And I just want to read it to you. She would probably be horrified if she knew I was reading this to hundreds of people. Um, But here's what she said. This is a high school girl who knows Jesus and loves Jesus. This is what the gospel is by her words. She said, the gospel literally translates to good news. The Gospels are a collection of stories of the life of Jesus. It explains how he fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament to prove that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. We encounter God's mercy as Jesus performs miracles and heals the broken. Most stories are about Jesus' three-year ministry that eventually ended in his betrayal, his crucifixion, his resurrection, way to go, And Jesus continued to love a world that hated him. And he was willingly tortured and beaten for our sins. Jesus was beaten beyond recognition for me, for all of humanity. And he would gladly do it again if it meant that just one soul got saved. Jesus conquered death and we are now saved from eternal damnation. We don't have to receive hell like we very rightly deserve. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we now have a pathway to heaven if we choose to have a relationship with him, which is so special. We get a little taste of what unfathomable love feels like. She's going on a mission trip. (laughs) Beautifully stated. Like the message could not be more clear. And it just made me like, I was sitting in the meeting. I was like, am I allowed to cry in a mission trip application meeting? Like it was so good, but it's important for us, right? Like the first task, if we are going to be evangelistic, if we are going to be found people who find people, we have to be clear about what we've experienced, um, what we hold true and what we're inviting people into. And here's the reality is so often without meaning to like totally unintentionally or just without awareness, we muddy the message of the gospel, right? Like we add all, all sorts of things or we subtract things from it, or we try to push like our agenda into it, right? And so some of the things that we do to muddy the message are things like, sometimes we muddy the message of the gospel with morality, right? Like morality is a good thing, right? Like God's law is good. It's perfect. It's true. But sometimes we take the Jesus out of our gospel and we just try to correct people's behavior, when we encounter them. We're just like, oh, you really shouldn't drink. Or like, oh, you shouldn't smoke that because the Bible, right? Or like, you really shouldn't be sleeping with them because it's bad, right? And we, 
We don't give people the gospel. We withhold the gospel from people and we just launch into trying to be the morality police and we muddy the gospel. Now, again, that doesn't mean that morality isn't true, good, and perfect when it comes from God, but sometimes we muddy the message when we get on our moral high horse and try to correct people's behavior. The next thing that we do to muddy the message of the gospel is when we prioritize our politics over the gospel. Some people are like, oh, dang, he went there. And that's like all sides are guilty of this, right? Wherever you sit, whatever party line, sometimes this is probably like the biggest thing for the church collectively right now is we take our politics and we give them precedent over the good life-saving news of Jesus. And we make it about clobbering people with what we think is the right way that we should run our country, the, the right way that our civics should play out, right? Now, politics are not bad. And in fact, we like have policy. It's a blessing that we live in a country where you get a vote, where you can have a thing, but don't confuse the two. Right? Like if we're going to share the good news of Jesus, it's not red or blue, it's the gospel, right? And we muddy the message when we make it about our politics first and our Jesus second. The next thing we do to muddy the message of the gospel is when we make it about theological jargon, right? Like sometimes with the best of intentions or maybe not the best of intentions, we get really stoked on how smart we sound, right? You find your cool way of saying it, or you read the book, and it's like, if I use these terminologies, right, it'll make me sound smarter than everybody else, or I'll use these words because I know they won't know what those words mean, and so then, like, I win the interaction, right? And it's like, nobody, probably nobody has ever debated somebody into the kingdom of heaven, Right, And sometimes we think like, if I can just be like this academic, impressive person, and I can just like give them a gospel that confuses them so much that they admit defeat, that that's the best way forward. And let me tell you, friends, that is not the best way forward, right? The first mission of evangelism is to make the message clear, right? And then the final thing that we do to muddy the message of the gospel is when we make secondary issues, primary issues, right? When we get really caught up in like, you know the hill I want to die on is, is uh, evolution, right? Like we're going to talk about evolution till the cows come home and I'm going to debate it and I'm going to be like, I'm going to have my take on it, right? And it's like people hear you talk about that so much and they never hear you talk about Jesus who loves them, right? Secondary issues are valid. They're good. They're valuable. They're important, I would even say. But we can't confuse the two and make secondary issues into primary issues. In the book of John in chapter three, it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That is the message of the gospel. So let's jump back into this story. So John the Baptist sees Jesus and he's like, that's the dude. He's got his two disciples with him. And he's like, that's the guy. I could not make it more clear. It's him. Right. And here's what it says in verse 37. It says, so when the two disciples heard him say that they left John and they followed Jesus. Right. Now that's big on John's part because he's basically telling them, hey, don't be my disciples, be Jesus's disciples, right? And so it wasn't about John cultivating some sort of like, you're dependent on me and it makes me feel good. There's like a reward system. I have a hero like savior complex and all of that. John just wanted, John knew because he had encountered the living God. And so he's like, you're better off with him than with me, go, right? And so they go. It says, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, so the next goal that we have as a church is this, if we're gonna be about evangelism, 
our church has to create space for people to investigate Jesus before they become disciples of Jesus, right? Like, we have to create space for people to show up with questions and be in the in-between, right? And again, like, there's probably people in this room right now who are like, Ding, ding, that's me, right? Like, I'm curious. Uh, maybe I grew up in a church and then I like wasn't in church for a long period of time for whatever reason. Maybe church disappointed me or a person let me down or maybe I, something glittered for my attention more and I went that way or whatever your reason. Or maybe you're like, I never have been in church before. Church is a totally new experience to me. And I've heard a lot of people talk about the Bible. I've heard a lot of people talk about Jesus. I've heard a lot of people talk about Christians, but I've never experienced for myself and I'm on a fact-finding mission. Like, I've got my magnifying glass and like my Blue's Clues notebook and I've got questions, right? And that's the best thing in the world. We love that. Like if you're like in the room and you're like, I haven't resolved what I think about Jesus or God or the Bible, like do I have to fake it till I make it? Like do I have to pretend that I'm like more holy or like act like I'm sold out or like adapt to churchy language? No, absolutely not. We like, we could not be more stoked that you're here with your curiosity. Curiosity, welcome, right? But it's important for us as a church to create space for people to investigate Jesus before they become disciples of Jesus. And that's true in our relationship relationships too. Like when you have a friend who's like curious or interested or even like combatively questioning, right? Like we have to have space for that. We have to be patient for that. We have to embrace that. We have to be excited about that. But here's the thing. If we're going to invite people to follow Jesus, there's a couple things that we should expect. The first thing that we should expect is questions, right? And sometimes we we stay away from like actually having the real conversation with a friend because we're intimidated by that very thing of like, well, what if they have a question that I can't answer? Right? Like what if like, what if they have a question that, um, that I can't answer? Um, and then I look stupid. Uh, or what if they have a question that I can't answer that I haven't considered that this then just like makes my faith crumble. Like what if it's just like all a house of cards and like, I haven't felt safe to ask my own questions and it's just kind of like holding on by a thread. And so I don't want to like have a real conversation with someone else because what if they ask the question that makes my thing crumble? And here's the deal. If it's true, it's true. It can with stand your questions, right? But if we're going to create space for people to investigate Jesus, we have to embrace questions. The best thing we can say when someone asks a good question, that's a stumper. The best thing we can say is, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer, but I would love to help you find out. That's the thing. But then you got to follow through on it. You can't just be like, that's a nice question. I'd love to help you find out and then abandon them, right? Just like disappear, right? Like journey with them because questions are valid, right? Like Jesus invites questions. After Jesus was resurrected, one of his disciples was like, I don't know about this. Jesus was like, you want to look at the holes? Like ask your questions. Like I'm good with that. I'm not insulted by you having questions. And so neither should we be. Like when people have questions, even if they're really tough questions, we should celebrate that. We should invite that and help them find answers. We should also expect doubt. Um, we should expect that there will be moments where people feel really skeptical. We should expect that there's moments where we feel skeptical, right? Like sometimes you have seasons in life where you're like, I don't know about this, right? And, and the answer to that isn't, so I'm just going to cut bait and never ask my questions like, questions are bad, doubts are bad, and so that must, be, that must mean that I should go in a different direction. No, that means keep asking your questions, keep searching, keep pushing forward, but we have to be okay with the reality of, as humans, we question, we doubt, and so will other people. Um, if we're going to invite people to follow Jesus, we should expect complicated stories, 
right? Like maybe you've been following Jesus and it's like made perfect sense for you from day one. I would guess probably not because life is way harder than anybody like openly shows, right? Like life's pretty tough, right? Like life's really good, but really hard. Amen. Yeah. Um, But I guarantee you will encounter people who have experienced things that you have no context for, things that you've never been through, things that would make you cry, things that'll break your heart, right? Like we have to be comfortable with complicated stories, right? Stories that don't resolve in a neat little bow, stories that we don't have an answer to because it was never our job to like explain someone's life to them, right? Like it was something that we can't resolve for them. Like life is complicated and people have complicated stories, but if we're going to invite people to follow Jesus, we shouldn't be thrown off by that because Jesus steps into the complicated situations. Jesus steps into the mess. Um, If we're going to invite people to follow Jesus, we also should expect that we're gonna encounter sinful behavior, right? Like if you view sin as this like contagion, like that's gonna like, I can't talk to that person because they're a sinner. And if I talk to them, then I'll become a sinner too. Newsflash, you're already a sinner and God's working that out of your heart. Um, also, let me, there's within reason. If you're an alcoholic, I don't think you should go do a, a ministry in a bar, right? Like there's wisdom in it, right? But we shouldn't be surprised when people sin and we shouldn't view someone who's sinful as like a, nope, not going over there, right? Jesus went straight to the people that were the most sinful, right? And so that should be us too. Like sometimes we go around and we're like, I'll invite that person to church because they're pretty close to it already, right? But it's like that person would never go to a church. And so I'm just gonna like say no on their behalf and move along. But that's not the heart of God, my friends, right? Like we should not be put off by sin because God is not put off by sin. We are not afraid of mess in the household of God, right? And finally, we should expect misunderstanding, right? Like there might be times um, where people feel like you're pressuring them and you have to apologize for that. Uh, There might be times uh, where people think that you believe something that's actually not in the Bible and you have to explain that, right? Like like we can't expect people to just full send, understand, um, or believe or agree out the gate. Like life is messy. There's person-on-person friction, but that is some of the blessings and the stressings of being a human and sharing the good news of Jesus with people. There's a proverb in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, that's so beautifully put. It says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. Let me read that again. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. If you know what a manger is, it's basically like a stable. What is a stable built for? Animals, right? Um, And so the only way that a stable, a manger, would be clean is if it didn't have the animals in it that it was built to house, right? And I think sometimes we can get in that mindset about church where it's like, this is where all the good people hang out. This is like cool, perfect person club, right? And here's the thing. If an oxen is not in a stable because the manger is clean and it's empty, the manger is not fulfilling its purpose. It is a useless building, right? The same is true of the church, Right? Like if our whole thing is that this is just like an in-crowd, um, a, a perfect people club, and outsiders aren't welcome, and different people aren't welcome, and we're just going to keep this clean, and we're going to keep it easy, and I like the way it runs, and I want the music my way, and I like when the person talks about these topics, but not these topics, and what is that person doing there? I've got beef from 10 years ago. They said something mean to me in high school, or they stole my boyfriend or my girlfriend or whatever, right? Like if it's this place where it's like, I just want to like build this place into a little bubble that perfectly suits all of my preferences and never makes me uncomfortable. And it's just clean and sterile and perfect. Newsflash, it is not fulfilling its purpose and it becomes useless. 
useless. Where, the, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. And so if we're gonna be a church like what Jesus had in mind, we're gonna be a church that is going to expect and invite a little bit of mess into our lives, a little bit of chaos. Now, the beauty is that we get to see God working in that and we get to see transformation and we get to experience the real thing and we get to grow and all of that. But we should not be surprised when as the word goes out, the people come in, but with people comes problems and we embrace those wholeheartedly. So here's the deal. The two disciples hear that Jesus is the Lamb of God. They go and they follow him. And in verse 38, it says this, Jesus turning around sees the two and he asks them a really good question. Um, He says, so what do you want? Right, and I think sometimes we read that and it's like, what do you want, right? But that's not the heart of God, right? He asks them, like you can imagine, he's like, they're following him. They're clearly following him for a purpose. And so he turns around to them and he goes, okay, what do you guys want? Like, what is it that you're after? What is in your heart? Because here's the deal. The questions we ask will determine the quality of our conversations, right? Like when you interact with people um, who you love, who you care about, who you would love to introduce to Jesus, or maybe someone that's just kind of like, I met this person today, and it feels like there's a God conversation about to pop out of this thing, right? The questions we ask will determine the quality of our conversations. And sometimes we find ourselves in that moment, and we're like, I should go into monologue mode, and I'll preach at them for an hour, and that'll do the trick, right? You're like, no, (laughs) that wouldn't work. The best first move is just ask questions. Just ask people questions, like really listen to them, really care about people, really invest in people. Be concerned with their concerns, like mourn with them, celebrate with them, right? Like good questions lead to quality conversations. You want to know one of the simplest and best questions? I got this from a friend of mine Um, in college. I had this friend who was like the goofiest dude you've ever met. Um, Just like a, a sweetheart and just a goofball. But was one of the best evangelists that I'd ever met. And do you know how he would start conversations about God with people? He would just look him in the eye and say, hey, so what are your thoughts on God? And then just listen. He didn't go in with an agenda. He wasn't like, let me tell you about God. He wasn't like, what do you think about uh, premillennial tribulation, right? He was just like, what are your thoughts on God? And the conversations that would come out of it, right? Because so often when it's like, let me tell you about my thing, walls go up, right? Because you feel like on defense, right? But he would just say, what are your thoughts on God? And genuinely care about their answer. Where are you at? What are you thinking? What's going on in your heart? And so Jesus turns to these guys and he goes, so what do you want? What is it they're after? What are you looking for? And here's what they say. It's an interesting response. They say, rabbi, which means teacher, they go, where are you staying? <laughs> like, in other words, like, where, are you, where do you live? <laughs> right? He's like, what do you want? And they're like, where are you staying? And his response is really beautiful. He just goes, come, you'll see. Like, come with me, I'll show you. Like, I've got nothing to hide, open book. All are welcome, come on. Come, see. And here's the thing. Jesus, when it comes to relationship with him, he first invites us to come and see, right? Like he allows us to investigate. He wants us to show up with our questions. Like he's got nothing to hide. He's not trying to like bait and switch, 
right? Like come and see, like in the, in the early days of a relationship with Jesus, it's pure and simple. Just investigate for yourself. Make up your own mind. Put me on trial, right? Like I'll be the guy on trial. You be the lawyer. You ask the questions. Like that's how he's literally set it up. Come and see. See for yourself. I'm not trying to trick you into this relationship. I'm not trying to bully you into this relationship. I'm not trying to guilt you into this relationship. None of it. Just come and see. Investigate for yourself. Decide if I am who I say that I am. Talk to the people who know me. See if they're for real. Not perfect because um, people will let you down, right? Um, people will also lift you up if you find people um, who are sincere. Um, but come and see. Find out for yourself. Decide for yourself. Investigate. And let him persuade you. Let him prove that he is who he says he is. That's the beautiful thing. It's an open invitation. There's no pressure. So if you have a conversation with someone and you're like, would you like to come to church with me sometime? Or can I tell you about Jesus and why he means so much to me? And they're like, no, thanks. Okay, fine. They're allowed to say that. That's okay. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, that's not like you had a big... F on your report card if that happens. Like we should expect that not every, every time we work up the courage to be like, will you come to church with me? That's, everyone's gonna be like, I've been waiting 10 years and I'd like to accept Jesus tonight, right? Come and see. But you also might be surprised by how many people are like, yeah, actually, I would love to come and check out your church with you. But honestly, like nine out of 10 times when I've like asked somebody who, else, who I'm like, they'll never wanna come to church with me. They're always like, yeah, I would love that. And then they come to church and we have awesome conversations, right? Like usually the fear is just a story that we tell ourselves, but it's come and see, investigate for yourself, person to person. You can't trick anybody into the kingdom of God. That's business between him and them. And the invitation is come and see. Come and investigate for yourself. But on the other end of that, here's what we also have to remember. Um, I want to read this scripture. In Luke chapter 14, it tells us this. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, so after they've come and see, if they come to him and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when he says hate, he's not saying, so be terrible to your parents and like have disdain for your wife and any of that. What he's doing is he's using a rhetorical device to draw a contrast to say, hey, I need to be, like, if when you say I'm Lord of your life, you need to mean Lord of your life. Like, I am primary and everybody else is secondary. That's a choice that's fully yours, right? Like, I'm not forcing anybody into this, but that's the deal, right? Come and investigate, ask all the questions you want. But if you want to be adopted into my family, then I have to take precedence, over everybody else. See, Jesus first invites us to come and see, but Jesus finally invites us to come and die to ourselves. So here's the thing, Jesus makes the door wide, but he holds the bar high, right? And that's not a bar to save yourself, right? We know that we cannot do that, um, but the bar is, you know, in Romans it says uh, really clearly, it's my favorite, just like, little nugget of gospel. It says, um, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Like that's, that's like, that's the gospel, right? There's nothing else. When it comes to salvation, it's that. It's, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And do you believe in the resurrection? Then you're good. 
right? But that Jesus being the Lord of your life is a high bar, actually. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll do it perfect every time, but that means the direction of your discipleship will be that he takes precedence and he gets the final say on the things in your life. That Jesus' yes is yes and his no is no. Um, And there's no more to say than that. Jesus makes the door wide, but the bar high. So going on in the story, it says this. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two. So John's got his two disciples. One of them is Andrew, right? It's giving his context for it. It says, Simon, uh, or Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, like he's here, right? So John points out Jesus to Andrew. Andrew goes to Jesus and encounters him, is found by him. And as his first response, what does he do? He goes and he finds his brother Simon and he brings him to Jesus. He goes, we found him, come with me, right? Like I found him, I want you to encounter him, come on. And here's the reality, you guys, we talk about what we enjoy. Like you talk with your friends about the things you enjoy, right? Like whatever the show is that you're really stoked on right now or that hilarious TikTok you saw the other day that you instantly send to your friend or that amazing restaurant that you tried out. Like the things that you truly enjoy, you cannot help but talk about, right? I'm gonna get specific here. Anybody been to Slice House yet? Anybody know about Slice House? It's this new pizza spot on Thousand Oaks Boulevard. It's right by the post office. And oh my gosh, you guys. It is so good. If you like pizza, you got to check out Slice House. It was like three weeks ago, my dad was like, hey, can I buy you lunch? You want to meet me at Slice House? I was like, what's that, dad? He's like, it's this new pizza place. They serve pizza by the slice. They've got all the styles, Detroit, deep dish, thin crust, you name it. They've got it. I was like, sure thing, dad. I'll meet you there in 15 minutes. And I went and it was transcendent. It was so good. And what do you think I've done since then? I've taken four other people to Slice House because it got me stoked. It was amazing. And I had to share it with people. And that's hardwired into the framework of what we are as people. We talk about what we enjoy, right? We talk about what we enjoy. And the same is true of God, I hope. If you truly enjoy God, if you truly love Jesus, that's not something that you can keep a lid on. That's something that will bubble out of you. And now you will find ways to do it that you're like, well, that didn't work. And that came across too, uh, across too strong-handed and maybe I'll take a different approach next time. Uh, and you will find ways where you're like, wow, I feel like that really came across, like what was in my heart came out of my lips and into their ears and they understood me, right? Like there, you'll learn how to do it. But if you love Jesus, if you love God, you cannot help but talk about him with people. You cannot help but share about him with people. We talk about God because we enjoy God. Let's keep going in the story. It says this, and they brought him, so they brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him, so they've never met face to face before. Um, They didn't introduce him. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're Simon, you're John's son. And then he gives him a new name. He's like, cool, you're Cephas now, which means Peter. But there's this amazing thing where 
they bring Simon to Jesus, but Jesus already knows everything about him. Jesus knows how to speak Simon's language. Jesus saw Simon far off. He knows who his dad is, right? Like he knows it, like he's the character in his favorite TV show that he's been watching, right? And he just saw him on the street. He was like, Simon, oh my gosh, I love you, right? He knows him intimately already. They bring him to Jesus, but they don't have to explain Simon to Jesus. Jesus fully knows Simon because Jesus crafted Simon. Right? And so Simon encounters Jesus and has this powerful transformation. So, that, so he goes and gets his brother Simon and brings him to Jesus because he knows Jesus is good news, but he also knows Jesus will be good news for Simon. Right? He's like, you got to meet this guy. Come, see for yourself. Right? And here's the question I want you to ask yourself. Do you believe that Jesus is good news for the people in your life? Right, like sometimes we're like, oh, I won't talk about Jesus because he'll be like a burden or he'll be a bother or uh, they like like the, the kingdom of God, but not like the king, right? Like the like whole like come and die thing is a little intense and like maybe I'll just kind of like put that over there and I'll just kind of be like, hey, I found a better way to live and you should come and investigate it with me, right? Like, do you believe that Jesus is good news for the people in your life who you love? So moving on, it says this. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. So finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So they're building an army of people following Christ. So he finds Philip. He's like, Philip, come with me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And then Philip found Nathaniel, right? So it's spreading, right? Like these found people are finding people and he's growing a following. So Jesus finds Philip and then Philip finds Nathaniel, right? And so the story goes, it goes on and on and on. Found people find people. I love where this story goes. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. You can start setting up, but check this out. Uh, so it says that, Philip found Nathanael and he told him, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and who the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph, right? So it's this cascading effect of like, these people are encountering Jesus, being transformed and they're like, I gotta get my friend and bring them over here to meet this dude. This is amazing, right? And so they go and get Nathaniel and they tell him about Jesus. They're like, we found the guy, he's the real deal. He knows us, he formed us, he's changing our lives. Come and meet him. Uh, and here's the thing, if we're honest, I think a lot of us are banking on this idea of like passive evangelism, like panning out for us of this whole, like, if I just live a Christian life, someday they'll come and knock on my door and be like, surely something's different about you. Would you can I buy you coffee and you tell me about Jesus? Like, that's like the fantasy in a lot of our heads of like, I'll just live different and then they'll come to me, right? Um, and I just want to encourage slash challenge that in you and say, that is the least likely way that your friends will meet Jesus. If you just bank on passive evangelism, like I'm not gonna do anything, I'm not gonna tell anybody, I'm just gonna like be a kind person and be a servant and try to help people. Um, th that is the slowest way to evangelism and the least effective way to practice evangelism. I wanna encourage you to practice proactive evangelism because here's the reality. You have not shared Jesus until you've talked about Jesus. Until you've said the name Jesus to someone, you have not shared Jesus with them. 
Maybe you've shared a philosophy. Maybe you've shared an ideology. Maybe you've garnered some respect from someone for the way that you live your life, but you have not shared Jesus with someone until you've told them about Jesus. And here's the thing is that, um, so they bring Nathaniel and Nathaniel has, has this great reaction. They're like, we found the guy, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says this, he goes, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Does anyone have that friend who just like says whatever pops into their mind? And they're, they're like that friend with rough edges that you're like, I only bring them around certain circles of people, right? Like, it's kind of like, like, they're my friend, but I don't want them to meet my parents, right? Like, that's like the stories they would tell. Right, like Nathaniel's got like a little bit of that energy where they're like, we found the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And his first impulse is like, I'm gonna make a dig at Nazareth. Like this ought to be good, right? And so Nathaniel's the buddy with some rough edges. The one who's like, if he's gonna offend Jesus, if anyone's gonna do it, it's gonna be Nathaniel, right? And so they're like, we found the Messiah. It's God in the flesh. He's from Nazareth. And he's like, oh, Nazareth. That'll be some good for my type five stand-up set. Um, but Philip is not put off by that. He goes, come and see, Right? And like this could turn into an uncomfortable interaction for them all. This could pan out to be really awkward. And that's just the reality of evangelism is evangelism can be uncomfortable. Right? Like you can find yourself in some situations. You can find yourself personally being offended, saying something offensive, introducing someone to someone and they're offended or uncomfortable or it's challenging to you or they ask a question that you'd never considered or, or, or. Evangelism could be uncomfortable, but can I tell you something? Comfort's the enemy of growth, right? Like when you're just like, when your highest priority is just like, I'm gonna stay comfortable, you will never grow. Do I have any gym bros in the room? Any, any, uh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I go to Gold's, the remodel's so nice. Um, but, um, okay, if, if you want to build muscle, you have to go into the gym and do what? Work out. Um, and if you want to build a lot of muscle, do you have to work out a little or a lot? You have to, you have to train hard. And it doesn't feel good all the time. But that's what makes it worth it all, right? Like comfort is the enemy of growth. And sometimes we think I'm just going to stay in my safe little pool of friends and I'm just going to um, never do anything that I can't predict and control. And I'm not going to invite a person who could change the dynamic. And I'm not going to talk about someone because what if I embarrass myself or what if I say something wrong or what if I just like fumble so bad that it pushes them even further away from Jesus, right? Like we tell ourselves that comfort is the best thing ever, but comfort is the enemy of growth. And here's where the story ends, is that Nathaniel meets Jesus. And it says, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching him, he says, uh, because he knows him, he formed him. He says, even before he gets to him, he says, here truly is an Israel in whom there's no deceit. In other words, he's saying, here's the guy who will tell it to you straight because he knows Nathaniel. He knows him. He's like, this is the guy who's not gonna be it around the bush. He is the one who will tell me what's really on his mind. He recognizes him. And Nathaniel questions it. He says, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus answered. He looks him in the eye. He says, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree before Philip even came to get you. I know you, Nathaniel. I love you. Nathaniel. Like Jesus knows Nathaniel better than Nathaniel's friend Philip knows him. He says, I saw you. I've been watching your show. I watched every season. I love you. I know you, Nathaniel. 
And it says, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, like I read you your mail. Like you believe because I knew you and I like read your mail to you, right? But then he goes on to say, you're gonna see greater things than that. Follow me, right? And that's how it is. There's two things that happen when we take the risk to speak about Jesus. The first is that God grows our faith, right? Like our faith grows through risk and trust and discomfort and trying. That's how it happens, right? Jesus said in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples and surely I'll be with you. And the number of people who I've talked to where they're just like, I don't feel God. And it's like, well, are you doing what he said? Because he said, if you go and make disciples, you'll experience his presence. He'll be with you right? And that's where we encounter him, right? We encounter him at the beginning, and then we encounter him as he encounters the people around us, right? If you take the risk to speak about Jesus, he'll grow your faith. And the second thing that he'll do is to grow his family, right? That's how it happens. That's how a wave of revival sweeps through this place. When we get brave, when you get brave, when you get brave, when you get brave, and you speak to people the name of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to um, encourage you to pray a prayer, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to let the band lead us in praising the Lord. Here's the prayer that I want you to pray, but only ask it um, if you mean it, um, because uh, sometimes we'll pray prayers and not mean them, and God will answer them anyway, uh, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things. Um, but I wanna encourage you, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, to ask him these words, Lord, give me an opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus this week. Now, here's the thing with opportunities is they come and they go, and it's up to you if you take it or not, right? An opportunity is an open door. You can walk through it or you can walk past it, right? But I wanna challenge you to ask for an opportunity and you'll know it when you see it. Um, and that's your moment to choose the courage to speak or to choose to say nothing and go, but it will be a choice. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna worship um, and let's see what God does in our community. Amen? Amen. All right. Jesus, um, I pray that every person who asked for an opportunity this week in your name will get one. Um, and I pray that you will bolster them with courage um, to just start speaking, even if they don't know where the conversation's gonna lead. That's kind of the best way to go into it. And so Lord, um, the first thing I just wanna say is thank you for finding us. Um, God, you are so good and life would be nothing without you. Um, God, I would still be lost and alone in darkness, covered in my own filth, cut off, uh, afraid, confused. Um, if you hadn't come and found me, um, and that's true of everybody in this room who knows you. And so God, just first and foremost, thank you for not being put off by our mess. Thank you um, for loving us. Thank you for coming after us. Thank you um, for holding the door open wide and holding the bar high um, and wanting us to grow, um, being serious about our growth. And God, thank you that you have a lot of room at the table uh, for your family. God, I pray that you would add people to it. God, I pray that we would see this room um, fill and overflow um, to the point that it's a problem and we got to figure something out because um, you're the God who could do that. And so, Lord, I pray a wave of revival um, here in the Conejo Valley, here at Calvary, here in YA. Um, and God, I pray that you would raise up the people in this room right now to do it um, by the power of your name and the power of your love. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you and we pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. I hope it was a blessing to you and want to invite you to join us on Thursday nights for service at 7 p.m. To connect with us, follow us on Instagram at calvya_ underscore or on our website, calvarywestlake.org.